0: Hello and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As always, I'm your host, Laura Boyle, and we are here as usual to talk about polyamory, non-monogamy, and sort of related topics. Today's topic in particular is about swinging versus polyamory and the way those two communities often feel like they're pitted against one another despite the fact that people sometimes move from one into the other, or back and forth between them fluidly during their non-monogamy journeys. My guests today are the hosts of the Normalizing Non-Monogamy podcast, Emma and Finn, and they're going to talk with us quite a bit about both their own personal experience in moving between these communities and the experiences of some of the many guests on their podcast, which deals with a wide variety of folks across the spectrum of non-monogamous experience so they've heard a lot of stories of folks from sort of all different parts of the non-monogamous experience. I think really my main interest in bringing this topic forward is to allow us to have a little bit of non-judgmental discussion of why it is we feel like we need to have very strict buckets that separate certain kinds of non-monogamy from other kinds of non-monogamy, when in fact many of the behaviors within each of them can and do overlap. Because you can often find in certain kinds of spaces a lot of judgment being cast from people who like very strictly practice one kind of non-monogamy about others. I see this a lot in the direction of polyamorous folks who are casting judgment upon swinging folks and a little bit less in the other direction, although sometimes you get people who are like, why are you so serious about all of this? It's just for fun. That happens a little bit less than in the other direction where you get polyamorous people who act like, um, almost like swingers are insulting their religion when (laughs) you get into talking about folks who relationship differently or who don't do sex for relationships, right? So in today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about why that seems to be so culturally, what other things might be underpinning that, the personal experience of my guests, and just kind of what these two sorts of groups of people might learn from each other as well as sort of thinking about how much overlap there actually is between these communities and whether or not it is always worth thinking of it as separate communities of people. I
1: hope you enjoy.
0: Thank you guys so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, we're excited to be here. Thanks for having us, Laura.
0: Yeah. So would you guys like to introduce yourselves for those in my audience who don't know who you are?
1: Absolutely. Go for it, Emma.
2: I'll start. You can add anything I miss. So, we're Emmun Finn. We currently live in the San Francisco Bay Area. We are the hosts uh, of the (laughs) get the name of our podcast correct. That's right. It's
1: it's brand new.
2: (laughs) Of the normalizing non monogamy podcast that we've been doing for almost five years. So, it is not new. Uh, And we have a podcast and community. Um, We've been together for uh, 17 years, married for 10, and been exploring non-monogamy in our own way most of our relationship. That's the high level. What do you got to add?
1: I think you nailed it. I don't have (laughs) any important details that were missed.
0: Well, I'm so
2: glad to have you guys here, and
0: we're here to talk about moving from swinging to polyamory and this sort of transition that I think a lot of couples end up making— even though the sort of polyamory discourse tends to end up talking about it in a kind of negative way. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And I think even some of the discourse on the swinging side, which is often the, uh, we we do this for fun. Our relationship is so solid. We, we don't do feelings. We don't get feelings. We don't have feelings. I, maybe they're emotionless bots. I don't know. But <laughs> my... My takeaway from that was always this sort of thought process of you don't have feelings until you do. And -hmm. I don't think that maybe everybody will, but I think there's a good possibility that maybe you do feel something, that there's a little tinge of curiosity or something that goes beyond just uh, no strings attached sexual connections. And so, yeah, I I think it's a great conversation. We're excited to have it.
0: Yeah. So do you guys mind sharing with me what your personal connection
2: to this kind of transition is?
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah. So for most of our relationship, I'd say for about 13 years, we were uh, mostly in the more casual dynamic of non-monogamy. So more swinging dynamic friends. We were always looking for friends with benefits. Mm -hmm. And so that was um, uh, the majority of our relationship has been lived in that in that space. Uh, And it's looked, you know, a little bit different over the years. We've tried different things, but like that, it's all been very casual. And then um, the, with the goal of making a lot of friends and community, and we wanted to meet so many, like, just like-minded people.
1: I think that the dream was always, could we go and do the activities we love doing? Could we go, could we go hiking and camping, paddleboarding, do all the, the stuff we love with people that also share those? And then. Maybe there's a naked hot tub or back massages or flirting or something even more, but it's built around a friendship, not necessarily around a shared interest in sex.
2: That's, a, yeah, that's, a, that was our goal. That was our, what we both wanted. And that was the
1: holy grail for many years.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then in 2020, um, you know, things happen in the world, but for us, we had started. Things happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For us, the, like I'd say in between 2018 and 2020, we had started to have more conversations around, you know, what would happen if we, if we had additional partners, if we dated separately, what would that look like? There was, it was just a lot of conversations there. Um, We weren't necessarily pushing for it. Um, We were just, Generally, just exploring those conversations together. And then later in 2020, we ended up reconnecting with a couple that we had met the year before. And, uh, long story short, <laughs> found ourselves developing very intense, deep romantic relationships with them. Um, and so, in a like in a quad formation. So, basically, we each have another partner and they're married to each other. Mm-hmm. So
0: what was that process like for you, sort of transition wise? Was that challenging? Was it fun?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's maybe gone in stages and And so what I think is important is that that I think the initial transition was fairly, fairly easy in some ways partly the world had shut down for a global pandemic and so there wasn't there weren't other relationships there really weren't too many other connections we had friends we had friends that we had you know had sex with or or had swinging dynamics with in the past but we we actually quit our jobs in 2018 went and backpacked south america for about 11 months and then landed back in a world where we, we just basically a year later, less than a year later, the world shut down. And so we had we we had functionally been monogamous since 2018 and, and really almost two years leading up to this point. And I think one thing that happened that, that was important was we both were going through the new relationship energy phase simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And so there was not a huge imbalance of... Emma's having these amazing experiences and these super high highs and I'm over here by myself on the couch crying, sad at home. We were going through the experience very much hand in hand. And I think that that helped that process not be as crazy as it could have been or as challenging as it could have been yeah
2: it was it was definitely challenging to begin with because it was very it was scary the unknown was scary but there was a lot of fun that was there and uh and we we really were trying to embrace that that journey and um so the transition itself at that point was was relatively easy i mean we had our our own hiccups along the way but i think what really happened over the last few years was um, it for our in our experience <laughs> taking um, taking a long-term relationship and transitioning to polyamory you know we had put a rug or cover over a lot of the issues in our relationship mm-hmm. and doing this and having multiple relationships took that cover ripped it right off and we have, had to face a lot of the things individually and together that um we hadn't intentionally ignored but uh were you know real upon over time realizing there were a lot of things that just were not working and so um that's been the most challenging part is is having to do that work and trying to figure it out and uh it's it's not been easy
1: yeah and I think what's really interesting about that is we didn't go from 15 year closed monogamous relationship to polyamory we were open we were having a wide range of experiences some together some separate at various intensities for 15 years Mm -hmm. uh, 13 years before we before we went down this route and we were still able we were we were so good at the codependency that we could, we could even cover it up in that while being open. And it really wasn't until we we went down this polyamorous route, maybe seeking a little more autonomy uh, and maybe even just the phase we were at in our lives, the, the, the facade came down and we were, were sitting here facing all of the things that we've been tucking away for many years and that, as Emma said, that has been a lot of work to un, to unpack.
0: Mm -hmm. Lots of folks who end up sort of moving into polyamorous phases of their lives find that that kind of process happens as they move into different forms of polyamorous relating. Uh Not necessarily that like the minute they try polyamory, but when they get into their second or their third polyamorous relationship or when they change the shape of the way they're polyamorously relating – because they're forced to like look at couples privilege or the second relationship that someone gets into starts pulling at the fabric of the way they've started relating. Right. So I can imagine that like, Oh, you'd set up sort of systems for relating the same way while you were doing all of these like friends with benefits relating or this swinging or these different forms of more casual relating and these deeper relationships revealed all of that that makes a lot of sense
1: yeah for sure and and even within the last few years the 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 structure has shifted over time right it's it's not so much a traditional quad anymore as it is more parallel relationships and then there's been adapting to that Mm -hmm. and figuring out how that works if that works does it work for some people and not other people and When you have so many different personalities in a space, inevitably nothing... I think there's a a slim chance that that something works swimmingly for everybody all at the same time. And then that's just, again, hard to navigate.
0: Right. So you end up shining a light on everything as you examine what works for whom and how.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. That makes
0: a lot of sense. So... That all is a pretty concise look at how your personal transition from kind of a swinging paradigm into a polyamorous paradigm has worked. Can you tell me a little bit about how it felt like that was perceived by sort of your friends who you were in community with, who you were non monogamous with? Like, because I know you had the advantage of starting this during the pandemic. So it wasn't like you had immediate friends with benefits who like dropped you or anything. But
1: yeah, no, it's a great question. And
2: yeah, yeah, it is a great question. And I think the situation being that it was COVID definitely impacted that because also, we were living in a place that was relatively new to us, and it we didn't have a strong... Um,
1: we com- had, like, two friends. Yeah, we didn't have a strong <laughs> network there, because we,
2: we moved to this location, like, right, right before the world shut down. Oh, yeah. And so... Um, that
0: does change it was, things.
2: Yeah, it does change things, because... I, we talked to to a lot of our friends and like we would share our experiences and say, Hey, like, this is a change in our relationship at this point. And, and most of them were like, cool, like, let us know. We'd love to talk more about it. And, um, but the state of the world was what it was. And so I think that in some ways, plus, plus say the world plus us living in a location where we didn't know very many people, um, just it made it not much of an issue, to be honest.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a few things in there too. It, it did shine sort of a light on the fact that we were able to really foster some friendships through that time frame because there were people that we, we had experiences with in the past that we then were saying, hey, we, so we also at the beginning of this dynamic For for somewhat for COVID reasons and other reasons of trying to develop security in the relationships, we functionally went to a polyfidelitous dynamic where it was a closed quad. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the these other dynamics, even if there wasn't a pandemic, we had sort of said for the time being, we're not going to really explore those. And so there was some communication with friends when we were able to see them that, hey, we'd still love to spend time with you, but this part has changed and i think that that solidified to us that those friendships were based on friendship not on a sexual component i would imagine and we we did catch some maybe glimpses that people were disappointed or bummed because that was a fun that was a fun part of our connection but we were still able to go and spend time go to a concert spend a weekend together and do things and still be in that space without it really drastically impacting it. So I I think that was, again, I'm, I know there were, were probably hurt feelings and people were bummed, but we also got a lot of support from people in us figuring that out. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah.
0: So in a kind of more general sense, something that we end up seeing a lot in polyamorous community is a certain amount of people being on kind of a high horse about polyamory over other kinds of non-monogamy swinging is only one of those but like swinging kind of gets some of the worst of it in terms of polyamory being viewed as superior or other kinds of non-monogamy not being as evolved or whatever did you guys Sort of get any bits of that as you made this transition, or now that you're polyamorous, do you ever hear bits of that? Because people now think you're on the correct side of that, and will naturally like agree with them.
1: Well, I definitely feel more evolved myself. Clearly, we are, <laughs> we are the superior beings ah. now. I. What joking, is, joking. Yeah, right. Sarcasm. Now that
0: you've been taken to the mothership, are you
2: <laughs> Yes? <laughs> I have to call out your sarcasm, sorry. <laughs> no,
1: it's but it is so true. And I think it's to be frank, from my perspective, it's sad. It's sad that we are all swimming in the same sort of pool of going against the norm and yet we have to sling mud. And and I hate that. And I I think there are have we, I guess maybe have we been welcomed in a different way? I actually haven't felt no really any of that. No. Um, I have, we have been in some spaces where we've heard comments, right? Of like, oh, swingers, right? And the little bit of the eye roll. And I...
2: So it do, I think it does exist. It definitely exists. For sure.
1: And I think there's some pieces of it that looking back that I didn't love. Right, And maybe some of that was geographic or just the, the, the spaces that we were able to find while we were doing that. There were a lot of sort of maybe some toxic patriarchy or some really coupley privileged things where you would get treated in a way that like didn't feel good, right? I mean, I know we had one experience where we thought these people were like friends of ours and we, they were planning to come over to like hang out on a Friday night And that happened to be a bad time biologically of the month. And we communicated that like, hey, we, you know, we'd still love to have you come over, have a barbecue, whatever, but probably not not going to play. yeah, right. Well, you know, let us know when that's, you know, let us know when that's not a problem because we're not going to come over tonight, basically. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, wow, okay. And and so like some of those things were just not our jam, but we we tried to like h- navigate that space and finding our own flavor of it that did feel good. Mm-hmm. And I th- yeah, so I definitely there is some, I would say some polyamory elitism. And it it kind of stinks in my opinion.
2: Yeah, and in my from my perspective, it's it's sad because I feel like, well, there's an opportunity for the two communities to learn from each other and work together and overall create better you know healthier better spaces for all of us and because at the end of the day like we're all in sex positive communities why not support each other and I can understand some of the perspectives but it it takes us all kind of working together to to change those experiences to change the um to change the general feeling of those, of those spaces. Um, and so hopefully, I mean, I think we're headed that way slowly, but uh, hopefully we can keep working to, to get to those spaces where that there's not an elitism or there's not a, there's a, just collaboration.
1: Yeah. When I, I think to the, truly the gap between quote unquote swinging, and quote unquote polyamory I think there are people who maybe are so far on one end of the spectrum or the other that there is a huge gap. But I think in the day to day for most people, the line is a lot blurrier, right? We are, you know, speaking for us, right? We were quote unquote swingers who were looking for deep friendships that we could go and do things, you know, even like some of these people, we are embedded in their family units sometimes we're buying presents for their kids and going to their kids birthday parties and having like these people we know meet these people we know so their kids can play together right and so that is a very blurry line between that and and swinging or polyamory or the polyamorous people who go to sex parties all the time or are hooking up with multiple people throughout the week one night stands how is that a whole lot different Mm-hmm. And I think they're, they're very related and very similar. And that's so why I think it's just hard to watch the mud go back and forth between them. We
2: mm-hmm. have our personal experience, but from all the people we've talked sure. to as well from the, so our podcast is interviews of people exploring non-monogamy. And so like from the um, couple hundred people we've talked to, like, it's just, it's very obvious that they're the blind Finn's point of like the, the, the line is blurry.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like, as a polyamorous person who is very sex positive and like, so is the community that I'm in, I find that we get into a very blurry space, but also in our like wider local community of who identifies as polyamorous, we run into a lot of, well, there are some people who really want to gatekeep the term polyamory in a very sex negative way and they kind of want to say that anyone who's having too much sex isn't really polyamorous, those people are swingers. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, if you're having the wrong kind of sex, if any of your sex is outside of very carefully determined, capital R, relationships of the kind that they approve of, mm-hmm. yeah, right, like, then you're not really polyamorous. And I don't... First, I'm just not in favor of that. And second... I don't see the value in doing that kind of gatekeeping. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I don't even really see the value in sort of marking non-monogamy as a giant spectrum and like placing polyamory at one end and swinging at the other and doing the other terms across it. Like there's not really a point. Right. Yeah. But if we must, because we're going to set up different events for different groups, then okay. But really... I just kind of want to know what people's goals are for particular relationships or particular meetups
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then roll from there.
1: Yeah, I think that is, I mean, that's the dream. That's the dream that we've been sort of chasing is the... So so the Emma mentioned that we built a community online and granted our community is not an orgy or a mm-hmm. sex party, but it is a space where... There are people who are very, let's say, strict swingers. And there are people in there who are very strict polyamorous people. And they play together in the same sandbox all day, every day, day in and day out for years. And they support each other. They build on each other's experiences. They validate them. They open each other's eyes up. And so I think it is such a, a great opportunity for the two again, the two sides that shouldn't even have to be sides yeah. to just be one united front.
0: Right. I think there is so much that these groups can kind of learn from each other if they pause and take a minute and realize that there's not really value in being separate sides. Yeah. Right? There's not particular value in going, well, we're more palatable publicly than right. you. Or, oh, well, we're better understood than you. And, you know, like... Your mom and dad can understand a key party that we don't talk about, right? <laughs> like, yep. no, but we don't want to be understood but not talked about. We would like right. to be palatable at PTA meetings. No, we mm-hmm. don't want to be either of those things really or both, <laughs> right? Can we just be both?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's an interesting, I think that's an interesting topic, right? Because you, you, you mentioned palatability. And so- There's an interesting place there where we've had, let's say, for example, we've had friends who we've had swinging relationships, swinging dynamics with, come to family events or come to parties where there are people who are not part of that. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's a different experience than if my partner of two years were to come to an event. And I would say this is my partner. Yep. We've been together for two years versus, oh, this yeah, these my friends, friend. we <laughs> yep. we had sex with him last weekend and okay. it was pretty crazy. And then we're probably going to do it tonight after you all go home. We just wanted to let you know what our relationship dynamic was. Like there's a little bit of a different vibe
0: there. <laughs> right. There's a point where I just say, this is my friend, so-and-so.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. There's privacy. Right. Yeah. right. Privacy
0: is reasonable.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 It's an interesting because you don't. You don't want to feel like you're hiding those people, but I don't know. You also I think this comes up more in the context of partners who are not wanting to be hidden mm-hmm. or othered. Oh, this is my friend. Like, I'm not your friend. I've been with you for two years. Right.
0: And I think in that context, finding out the person's preferences mm-hmm. and figuring out what your vibe is mutually is really important yep. because like For some people, where that line is, is very different from others, right? For sure. My partner of seven years is, bless him, the most Scorpio man alive. In that, like, if something can be a secret, he would like it to be a secret. He does not want to tell anyone anything. He does not want to explain anything to anyone for love nor money. (laughs) So, like... He's like, but why can't everything about each of my relationships be a completely opaque secret to everyone outside the relationship? Honey, you're polyamorous and you have three partners.
2: <laughs> yeah, sometimes they People need to, need know, to know Well, yeah. okay,
0: so like I can give each of you the actual information you need to know. But beyond that, why would anyone on earth need to know anything?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I think, too, it sounds like that partner of yours would be okay being labeled as a friend at a family event, perhaps.
0: Well, right. So, like, he'd be the happiest clam on earth being anyone's friend at any event for any reason. Yep. And probably was through the 90s, unless his thing was that he wanted to show up as an activist with a boyfriend for some reason and then get kicked out of something. Right? Like, (laughs) fine right but like for normal people yeah they're like no i would like to be recognized (laughs) yeah (laughs) that said knowing what your partner's preferences are become really important for things like that and so knowing what labels they want to use, knowing whether it's important to them to feel like you're polyamorous, knowing if polyamorous is a word that jives with them, that like vibes correctly, right? Becomes really important because for some people, oh, well, I don't really feel right saying we're polyamorous because that implies like a level of love and commitment that doesn't feel right to me can be important.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to the and this is maybe a whole different topic but just to just to drip it in here mm-hmm. is if you're trying to get off the relationship escalator showing somebody your commitment right finding out what that means to somebody else and perhaps telling family telling friends that that you aren't just a friend that you are a partner that can be a really great way again if both people agree on it that that can be a great way to show commitment without moving in buying a house making babies opening up Mm -hmm. retirement accounts Mm -hmm. you can you can use some of these milestones yeah
0: yeah and those kind of milestones can be the sort of thing that for somebody feels like their biggest transition from Mm -hmm. moving from like a swingery framework to a polyamorous one, and it can be one of those things that triggers the feeling of it being a challenge for someone, right? Like, oh, I thought I was totally okay with us moving out of a swingery framework, but you bringing your partner along to this party and telling everyone that they're your partner too has me totally wigged out. Can we go in the other room and you reassure me for five minutes, Mm -hmm. right? Like excerpt from an actual conversation I'm sure I once had. (laughs)
1: right yeah right yeah
0: so it's those sorts of things that like I think the idea of the two things being so far apart that they need not just completely separate labels but to act as if the two butts can't touch is (laughs) wild right I think mostly having a separate label is So that people go to roughly the sort of event that they're in the right vibe for.
1: Yeah.
0: And so that they go to the sort of thing that they get what they're paying for, right? If you're going to a big event, people don't want to go to like the swinging event that I went to in November that I was teaching at. If what they're looking for is like a big polyamory meetup, they will be disappointed. (laughs) maybe if they were also looking for kink education they'll still have a good time but like otherwise no um Mm -hmm. we were the educators were taking bets on how long it would take for there to be jellyfish in the pool it was a bad time um (laughs) i mean it was a really good event it just
1: It was very focused on uh, particular activities. There
0: were People were very focused on one another. (laughs) They had a great time.
1: (laughs) I I love that. I think that idea that you're creating, and it's not the idea of, hey, stay in your lane, but it's understand the lane you're about to get in. Right. And I just, I, I feel as if it would be, a disservice not to mention one of the pieces about the swinging lane that maybe I don't want to say that I feel more evolved as a polyamorous person, but it is around, I think, the the acceptability and the embracement of queer, being queer, regardless of gender. Mm-hmm. And maybe even in some cases, recognizing that gender is not a binary by itself and that mm-hmm. is something that we we both struggled with in many of the swinging spaces we were in I say many the, the let's say the more mainstream we we did get to the point where we were making friends with people who were having smaller parties that were a little more um, catered and and open to the ideas that maybe that maybe it was okay that one guy was into another guy but that typically in, in the scenes that we were seeing really was not okay. And on the flip side, you were pretty much obligate, you were, you were pretty much obliged to be a bisexual woman because that's sort of the culture. And, and that's something that I would love to see changed. That it is a much more queer, inclusive space for everybody, not just for the women to perform for their men so everybody gets hard, and then they can go do the thing that they actually came here to do.
0: Yeah, if you want to find sort of sexuality that is not extremely phallus focused and extremely sort of performance focused for women, getting out of swinging spaces, is something that I recommend, or at least getting out of mainstream swinging spaces, which is part of why I never really got into mainstream swinging spaces in a meaningful way. Having Uh landed in kink spaces really young, that was sort of my side door, through and to the side of that, right? Uh So I landed in small parties and small spaces that were like adjacent to that with people who sort of did both things at once and then private parties, right? So even people who get all of the like side-eye comments about, oh, they're just swingers in my life are people who are throwing private parties that are much queerer than mainstream swinging Mm -hmm. um, and are kinkier than mainstream swinging mostly, right? Um, And even we get the comments about like, Oh, uh, but it's not polyamory. Oh, uh, but they all just fuck. Like, of course we do. <laughs> what yeah. What do you want a bunch of slutty yeah. people with four partners to do? I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> oh, we also talk, like, like, most of the time. We the, negotiate the fucking... a lot before we do <laughs> yeah. it.
2: Like, yeah. Like there's a lot more communication than sex often. Like <laughs> But sex is part of it. I negotiated a
0: lot. Broke a paddle on my girlfriend before this happened. Like, do you need
2: What like what does it matter? What at the end of the
1: day? What's your
2: What's the damage here? Yep.
1: Yeah. 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 Totally.
0: So it's that kind of vibe where people are like, you know, it's just so much more enlightened to be polyamorous than this. Is it? Mm-hmm. Are we all going to be like lifted up to another plane of existence at this point because we have chosen polyamory as our way of life? I'm pretty sure we're not.
2: <laughs> it, I nope. Mean, it's just another option.
0: <laughs> if we are, I mean, awesome. I'll take the points. <laughs> Do I get air miles? <laughs> right. <laughs> But I'm pretty sure I don't at this point. I would be a lot better off if I did.
1: (laughs) Well, and what maybe even just, let's call it this this problem of othering, of being one up. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Even if you just focus on just the polyamorous community, you you see infighting there. Well, we're relationship anarchists and they're hierarchical and, Oh, that and and you're like, man, even when we get into the same, now we're in the same sub box Mm -hmm. and we still got to sort ourselves one up, one down. And it's just tough.
0: And I do love that now everyone has to be non-hierarchical, but we've created like two kinds of non-hierarchy, one of which (laughs) is like recreating monogamy, but just with more people. And the other of which is like non-hierarchy and it's a blob. I love it. I love it. It's like, let's go as close to relationship anarchy without using the word as possible, or let's live in group relationships all together and, like, be as palatable to a monogamous audience as possible. But it's not hierarchical because we treat everyone exactly the same. <laughs> but they're both non-hierarchical. Hierarchy is the new devil.
1: But we're know? more evolved.
0: It's more involved because hierarchy is the actual problem because hierarchy is couples privilege and hierarchy is something only swingers do. Did you know?
1: <laughs> so are you saying Hierarchy Laura, and patriarchy
0: you... for swingers? Did you know? So if this there's is hierarchy so much you sarcasm, have to be you guys. Oh, I know. I there's gags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's I mean, patriarchy and hierarchy are uh they're everywhere 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 yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm glad that we get along sarcastically mm-hmm. as well as we do. Mm-hmm. We've we've lost everybody, but we're having a hell of no, a time. No, we're
0: having a great time. We can see each other on video, so you guys can't get any of the visual cues and we're having an amazing time. <laughs> this is great. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But yeah. So do you guys have any final thoughts on this subject before I start asking you to plug all of your great work?
2: Hmm. I think maybe just a, a thought of it doesn't ever hurt and it's probably a really good thing to have a therapist and whether it's an individual therapist or a couples therapist or both, uh, just as you navigate relationships, like relationships are hard. And so that would just be my final recommendation is don't be afraid to to reach out for support and uh, and, and, and help because um, it's hard. Absolutely.
0: Always. Therapy is a good idea. The best yeah. thing to put on your dating profile is that you're currently in therapy.
2: Yes. yes it has nothing to do with swinging or polyamory just like relationships in general
0: it helps across the board even if you're monogamous
1: <laughs> yes exactly yeah i would i would add maybe just the the hope that we can stop caring so much about what the label is yeah and just encourage people to talk to their partner talk to their partners talk to themselves about what feels good, what's gonna work. And don't worry about, well, am I now a swinger? Am I now polyamorous? Oh, I don't wanna be polyamorous. I was just, just find what works for you. Don't worry about the label, communicate it to your partner, communicate it to potential partners and get that therapist to help you do all of that. And it will still be hard, but it will be much easier than trying to go it on your own, and fit yourself into a box that is really just a made-up box to begin with.
2: Yeah, use the label as a starting point for a conversation and exploration and to what works for you beyond that.
0: As someone who spent several years denying I was a relationship anarchist because douchebags are relationship anarchists, I approve this message.
1: <laughs> Excellent, wow. Thank you, coming from the highest order of... Yeah polyamory that is a real compliment so thank you the pinnacle the pinnacle dynamic
0: yeah yeah so where can we find you guys and what are you working on
1: yeah you can find us at normalizingnonmonogamy.com which is a lot to say you can type in normalizingnonmonogamy to the google or ask jeeves we're not too hard to find we have a podcast we put out every Wednesday where we just interview people who are exploring non-monogamy and listen to how they do it, and we ask some questions along the way, and we have a pretty good time doing that.
2: And you can find that podcast on any podcast player as well.
1: Yes, and we also have built a virtual and an in-person community of a couple hundred people across the globe who show up every day and support each other with, you know, sharing wins and struggles and sexy photos here and there and just holding
2: each other accountable for exercise like yeah, there's, there's it's, it's all all types of support.
1: It's yeah and it's a closed platform so it's just you and your closest non-monogamous or open-minded friends and it's awesome and so yeah we we're building that and just
2: And you can find more information about that on our website too. And then the other, the last thing I'll say is that we also have, um, built a, uh, meet and greet platform where we do a, well, we haven't built a platform. We have built a structure to do a virtual meet and greet, um, that we do on a monthly basis just for like the requirements to join or to be open-minded and respectful of others. And so, uh, we love getting out there and having these meet and greets that, um, we have a huge range of people join every month uh, and it's so much fun. We just give people a talking point and mix you up and use Zoom breakout rooms to to meet each other. So if you're interested in that, that's on our website too. And we do those every month and they started as a result of uh, lockdowns and COVID. So um, yeah, it's been a wonderful way to, that's really a casual and low pressure environment.
1: And it mixes up the pot because we have people from all ends of the non-monogamy world and heck even monogamous people join us because they're fun and they enjoy talking to people and having a good time yeah
0: cool thank you guys so much for coming and for talking with me um and i really appreciate you guys sharing your journey and a little bit of your insight about this topic
1: yeah Yeah. thank you for having us laura it's been awesome yes thank
2: you so much
0: thanks so much to emma and finn for joining me And once again, you can find them and their Normalizing Non-Monogamy podcast on any of the big podcast hosts. You can find them at normalizingnonmonogamy.com and normalizingnonmonogamy.com slash community is where you can find the community and forums that they're building. And they've got in-person as well as virtual events that they run through that community. So if you guys are interested, please do check it out. Uh, In terms of Ready for Polyamory news, I've got a class coming up on the 21st through the Rochester Kink Society. That's a kink negotiation primer. It's like a 101 for folks who are just getting into the kink scene on safe negotiations, on what to do when you're just getting into these things in terms of like, what's it like to go to a play party? What are dungeon spaces like? How do you behave in different situations, right? Um, so that class is on the 21st of February at 7 p.m. Eastern. That's a digital class. You can find the information at readyforpolyamory.com slash events. I also have a couple of classes coming up in March that are also digital. You can find those listed on the website as well. Those are a little bit more polyamory oriented. March 6th, I've got polyamory and parenting coming up. I am nothing if not a collection of contradictions. I am large. I contain multitudes. So that being the case, I think those are all of my like housekeeping updates. I'm going to throw some stuff in the show notes uh, for blog posts that are kind of loosely related to today's topic and as well as all of Emma and Finn's links. So if you're interested in more information about any of that, it'll be in the show notes. And I hope you guys all have a great week. I've got like three more episodes backed up, ready to come out over the next three weeks. And I'm uh, sending out emails and preparing for a few more after that. So we should have a few new episodes rolling out throughout the end of the winter and beginning of the spring. Have a great day, guys.